0: Welcome to the Delano Newsmakers podcast, bringing context to the stories that matter in Luxembourg.
1: I'm Jess Baldry. For millennia, social norms dictated what women's bodies should look like and how women use them. Whether the trend was to be voluptuous or waif like, passive or prim, women pursued these ideals because in patriarchal societies, their bodies were their best tool for survival. In recent years, a new movement has emerged, helping women embrace the power in their bodies. Today, I speak to someone who is part of that movement as a businesswoman, but also a passionate campaigner for better education and greater research about women's bodies.
0: When I was a high schooler, I had a boyfriend and I was having dinner with his sisters and parents. And just to make conversation, I wanted to bring up a funny anecdote that happened to me earlier th- the afternoon. Uh, which is a kid who told me that he thought pee came out of the vagina, which I thought was so funny. So I just wanted to talk about it at the table, but all the faces turned so white. And at this moment, I understood that sexuality not only is taboo, but there is also a lack of education because I didn't know whether or not people around the table knew that pee didn't come out of the vagina. It's, 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 yeah. it's concerning, but at the same time, I'm like, why did I bring that up? That
1: was Julie Leclerc, an entrepreneur who became more interested in this topic when, while working in San Francisco, she wrote an investment thesis on femtech, products, services, and platforms that use technology to improve women's health and well-being. She set up the Women in Tech Network in San Francisco, hosting events and publishing articles through which she met her business partner and co-founder of Bloomy, a marketplace for clean hygiene, period, and sex products. Julie, you said you were always curious about sexual awareness. But you told me that growing up in France, you felt that people shut you down with this kind of ordinary sexism. Can you tell me more about this?
0: I grew up in a very open family. Uh, It was always okay to talk about sex and sexuality with my parents. And then um, as I grew up, you know, I always felt super open about my sexual life, whether or not it interests people. But you know, My friends tend to shut me down all the time. I avoid embarrassing them. Like at the restaurant, every time I would bring the topic on the table, they'd be like, oh, come on, Julie, that's not the place to do that. You shouldn't talk about these things. And it just makes me realize that why? Why can't I talk about those topics? I I just wish people were more open and sex was not as taboo. But more than sex, there is this broader umbrella, which is intimate care, that people never talk about because for centuries... Women have been told that intimate care is not important, that they shouldn't talk about this. And even nowadays, still sex and sex jokes, it's a male thing. It's not really a female thing. So I actually also had a hard time finding boyfriends sometimes because I was a little bit too direct and I was talking a little too much. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's the experience I had. And that's mainly what I called not only uh, society taboos, but also ordinary sexism.
1: So when you did this research about femtech and this movement, what were the key points that stood out for you?
0: There are many things that actually stood out to me. Most of the time it was backing up my own intuition with data. So a lot of things weren't that surprising, but a couple of uh, data that I came across actually uh, was worse than I imagined. In the US, 4% of R&D funds in healthcare go to female-focused research. Yeah, 4%. Wow. It's crazy when we think about women being half of the population, and they have a different anatomy, they have different needs, but they still have only a minority of funds going towards research for healthcare for them. And that is tied to another figure that I will not forget, which is that 13% of CEOs in the healthcare industry are female. So there is so much bias around it. If products and services in the healthcare industry are created by men, there is no representation, so they do not know how to tackle female-specific needs. I think there need to be more women in the, in the industry in general, and especially when you, th- when you know that 80% of the healthcare spending today is done by women. So there is clearly a missed opportunity here.
1: As I understand it, Femtech really got started in 2016 in the US. Um, so who or maybe what was the driving force behind this?
0: We don't really know when Femtech started, but we know that the term has been coined in 2016 by a founder, Ida Tin, who founded Clue, um, which is a period tracking application. Femtech stands for Female Technology. And it covers all the new types of services, products that are aiming at improving women's health healthcare and well-being. Uh, so it's basically using technology to find solutions to female problems. And then the driving force, well, I would say it's mostly women being sick of it, <laughs> not having products that tackle their own needs. And if you think about it, for several years, healthcare products and solutions were designed, developed, and delivered without paying special attention to the fact that healthcare needs are different for men than women. So it's very important to recognize needs to serve women better. And in any industry that's the case, first you study the needs before you create the products. And with the rise of femtech, women are actually no longer dealing with what's available. They create their comfort of life, they take business into their own hands, and they use tech solutions to improve their reality. Most femtech companies today are created by women for women, and that is the big change and the big disruption, I think, in the space.
1: Can you tell me about some of your favorite femtech, intimate tech and body positive products and services?
0: Oh my God, there are so many. I have to say, like when I was preparing this podcast, I made a list of 20 companies, but I have to cut through the chase (laughs) Um, just because we don't want this podcast to last an hour. So I wrote down five that I really like, and everybody can go check out the Instagram and social presence right after the podcast because they have amazing uh, stories. Not to make too much advertisement, but I will start with Bloomy. My co-founder, Rebecca, is a sexologist, and she's pretty famous in the U.S., and she started Bloomie because there was no marketplace for intimate care products for women. Most products that you find today in the intimate care space have toxic ingredients. So out of that, she decided to make a platform that not only gathered clean products, but also reliable information for women, like a one-stop shop. And when she just created Bloomie, Me, I met her in San Francisco. I completely fell in love with the vision. I went for it and I started working with her right away. So that is Bloomy. Uh, obviously, it has a special place in my heart. So I will ask all of you to go check it out, because um, we do great work with uh, with amazing brands, and uh, we also try to promote uh, Black and Brown community founders, which are not always promoted uh, when it comes to uh, products and services. Another platform that uh, you should check out is called Make Love Not Porn. So it's an ethical, user-generated porn platform which actually pay its performers. And it gives you um, a good idea of what real life sex is about because people upload their videos by themselves and it's not like super high end production. And you can go and buy the videos that uh, interest you. It's been created by Cindy Gallup who's, I love her so much. She's a veteran in the space. She was on TEDx in 2009 to present Make Love Not Porn. She, she's really changing the norm. And I encourage you to go see her and connect with her even on LinkedIn. The three other companies that I wrote down is uh, Modern Fertility. So it's an at-home fertility test. Today, if you want to try to have a kid as a woman, most clinicians will tell you, try. And you know if you can, then it will happen. And if, if you cannot, then maybe we'll, uh, we'll find solutions for you. But if you want to plan your life ahead a little bit, that's my case because today I'm 30, but I don't want kids right away. I don't know if I'm super fertile or not, especially nowadays as, you know, you want kids later than in your 20s. So Modern Fertility started this uh, at-home kit that you, it's an exam that you take uh, at your, in the comfort of your home, and it will tell you if like you you fertile or you're not fertile, or if you have any issues, so you can start planning having kids ahead of time. So I think that's amazing. And uh, another company is Lioness. They have a connected vibrator that helps you to get to know your orgasms. Today, we have absolutely no data on women's orgasm and even less data about your own orgasm. And having, you know, good tools and vibrators can actually help you get more pleasure is a much needed commodity, and the last one you can go check out is All Bodies Health. It's a, it's an on-demand classes platform for intimacy, but they have an amazing uh, Instagram account that I follow, and I encourage all of you to go check them out.
1: So let's talk some more about pornography. We know it's been responsible for normalising a distorted and maybe twisted approach to sex. In Utah, it was labelled as a public health hazard. And then, of course, we have user-generated porn platforms like Pornhub, which it's alleged has hosted footage of rape and child abuse. So how is this new movement making porn work for women
0: Oh my God, I have so much to say about porn. Um, (laughs) Should we define what porn is? I will give you my definition. (laughs) For me, porn are several people or a person uh, having sexual activity in front of a camera. So that's my basic definition of porn. And to me, the problem is not porn, but It's the one who makes it, the one who leads it, the one who regulates it. And if you look at inclusivity in porn, it has always been an issue for women because it was founded by men and driven by men. Just a quick anecdote. Today, you go on new porn or on Pornhub or wherever, and you look at a video. You will see that the video finishes when the man finishes. That's it. That is called orgasm inequality. <laughs> Why can't the video finish when the girl finish? And that is because a lot of those videos, they're just biased because they were made for men. And not only that, but also most videos are not reflective, I think, of reality. A lot of them bring stereotypes and hyperstimulation And the issue with that is that the problem is porn is the primary source of sex education nowadays. So a lot of teenagers who access those don't have a good idea or don't have context on what is pure entertainment versus what is happening in real life. So you have a lot of platforms today. Who are um, kind of changing the, the the norm for porn, and uh, it's more ethical for performers because they are, they get paid directly by the viewers. It's more respectful of performers for safety and boundaries. Uh, some platforms are specifically focused on uh, feminism and female pleasure, and it's great. and I think this is going to be accelerated by what happened with Pornhub. To me, it's um it's kind of the evolution of the Me Too movement, but applied to porn. And I think it's a it's a great thing. Um, porn is amazing when it's watched with context and background. And I can mention uh, a few platforms that I really love in the porn industry. Well, make love, not porn. I just talked about it. It's uh, it's just what is real life sex. Uh, Afterglow is an indie production porn platform as well that is uh, more inclusive, and I highly recommend. Erika Lust as well is a good uh, porn producer and she owns several platforms uh, one of them focus on female pleasure so if you want a change of pace if you are a female listening to that go on uh, xconfession.com or I believe another one is Erika Lust Cinema and uh, enjoy yourself.
1: So let's talk about the pandemic what impact has this had on intimate care and on body positivity do you think?
0: I would love to know what people think the pandemic had of an impact on, uh, on sexual wellness. On Bloomy's side, we had a spike in sales when COVID hit. And in general, the sex toy sales and sexual wellness services have been at all-time high in 2020 and still in 2021. I have a few theories on why it has been like this. I think the first is because people are at home. It's a pandemic, they cannot date, they cannot see anyone. So at some point you have to take care of yourself and pleasure is not a distraction anymore, it's just a commodity. <laughs> and um, people need to just relax. And it's, it's just talking again about orgasm and sexual wellness, but orgasm has a lot of very good impact on your health and it actually makes you more relaxed. Uh, but other than that, I think people just want to take care of themselves. It's a pandemic, it's traumatizing. Consumers at least for bloomy they realize that now is the time to take a step back and try to, you know, get products that are better for you and that would help you take a step away from all this craziness right now.
1: Now, this is a movement, but it's also an industry. Do you know how much the sector is worth?
0: Femtech sector is rather young, but it's growing very fast. It's um, it's one of the fastest growing industry right now. It's expected to be worth 50 billion by 2021. Sexual wellness industry is going to be worth about 122 billion by 2025, 2026. Uh, both industries are just growing very fast. And to give you an anecdote, I started studying femtech a couple of years back, and at the time, all the companies that I saw in the space were rather young and raising funds, but when they were raising funds, they didn't raise that much money. It's because you didn't have a lot of VCs um, focusing on the femtech industry. And now it's been changing so much in just a, the sake of a couple of years. Now you have a lot of acquisitions being made, um, investments that are way more important are being done in the space. And you see VC firms actually growing to focus exclusively on femtech and sexual wellness. And I think that's the future.
1: Is this increased interest from VC, do you think it's being driven by female investors or is it purely because it's such a lucrative industry?
0: I think it's a little bit of both. Today in the VC industry, it's still uh, widely male-dominated, but it's changing. At least in Silicon Valley, a lot of uh, investment firms want to be more ex- more inclusive and have more representation, so they tend to hire more VC um, female VCs, which I think is good because that drives more investment into female-owned companies because it resonates more with their uh, needs. But on the other side, it's also very lucrative. Let's be real. Today, women are 50% of the population and they've been craving products and services uh, directly targeted to them. So that is the future for me.
1: So where do you see this movement and sector going in future? Or where would you like to see it going?
0: A few things that I think will... will get more important in the future is the first one is the gender inclusivity. When you think about femtech, it's a great industry and it's a great movement and I'm 100% supporting it, but it's a little bit restrictive because it only focuses on female technologies. And I think that um, is not very inclusive to uh, people who are interested in targeting non-binary folks, the LGBTQ community. So I think advertising in the future will no longer be this product is made for women, but for example, this product is made for people with vulvas. And especially since the next generation, Gen Z, is way more inclusive than Gen Y and that even the previous generation, it's going to go towards this direction of being more inclusive in general. The other thing uh, that I think will change is the size of the market and the way the market is. Today, it's a lot of small companies making progress and raising funds, but in the future, there will be. We will see a lot of acquisitions in the space. We will see a lot of Unilever buying femtech companies, of Procter and Gamble buying femtech companies, because that is the next generation, the next disruptive wave of innovation coming up, and cooperation at some point those companies will be mature enough for the corporations to be willing to buy them out. The last thing I will mention is that clean products will not be an option anymore. People who won't create clean products won't make the cut. I think this new generation of consumer is very ethical, is very sustainable, and they will pay attention to the ingredients that are in products today. And even on Bloomy, when we screen products, Only 2% make the cut nowadays. 98% of products in the intimate care market have at least one toxic ingredient in it. But that will change because now people want to know more and they get more information about their well-being and what they put on their body. So that means that brands will have to adapt to that. Julie Leclerc, thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening. You can listen to all our podcasts on Delano.lu and on all podcast platforms. And subscribe to the Delano newsletter for all the latest Luxembourg news in English. Sign up on Delano.lu.